Barry Sherry here. Thanks for tuning in to Pink Noise, a radio show dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who have mined and shined their inner gold. I'm recording on board a floating home that I share with my partner in Seattle, Washington. I would like to acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral lands of the Duwamish people, past and present. Welcome back to the program. It's such a privilege to hold your attention and share stories from individuals who are following the thread of aliveness in their life. What I love about today's guest is that she believes that you can reach your goals through intuition, flow, and neuroscience. She says that your intuition is the best CEO ever. And just like so many of my other guests, Esther Loopstra is here to share the medicine that she needed to heal and thrive. She found a coach who helped her tune in to her own intuition. And that guided her to align with her creative passion. So naturally, she wants this for you too. And that path is about opening up your channels of connection to self, to become best friends with your intuition. Let's dive in so you can hear more. Welcome to Pink Noise, Esther. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. A juicy conversation whenever I meet someone who has the same value on authentic self-expression. I get really, really excited. Me too. (laughs) One of the things I'm learning about you is that you seem to have figured out how to tune in to your own intuition and really get clear on what's important for you. And I'm wondering how that happened. How did you create this way of being where tuning into your intuition became the priority? Yeah, um, it is a long journey. It's, you know, I think a lot of times people think that as artists, that we're all really connected to our intuition and we're just really flowy and, you know, free and everything. And that was not me at all. I was very disconnected from my intuition. In fact, I did everything. I have a very analytical mind. So I pretty much just followed what I felt like I should do my entire life and what was like the logical thing to do. Right. And I didn't have a real connection to my, what I call my essence, right. My core creative essence. And so I was always sort of looking outside of myself for, um, the answers, and so on my journey, I had a lot of what I call um, abandoning myself, right? Where you kind of, you kind of sense that you maybe don't want to do something. Like if you have an opportunity, like for me, it was, you know, job opportunities or boyfriends or, you know, moving somewhere. And I had this, always had this sense of like, no, this isn't right. But I would do it anyway, because that's the right thing to do for my career or whatever, right? And so um, I just kept doing this and it just kept hurting more and more. (laughs) And, you know, when I started getting into my creative career, like I would take on clients that I didn't, that didn't appreciate me. And I would take like internships and jobs that I didn't really want and so I was really disconnected and I just kept abandoning myself and then burning myself out. Right. Which is what happens when we're not, when we're really disconnected. How did you know, register the signs that your clients weren't appreciating you? Like what was happening in that dynamic? Basically like my clients were telling me like, you need to do this right away or kind of asking things like, asking me to work weekends, asking me to like respond, what I call design emergencies. 
like, we need this right away ASAP and like bold, you know, caps. And, uh, and so I would just respond like automatically. And, um, you know, the, actually the internship that I took that I had a bad feeling about, but I did it anyway, that internship turned out they didn't even like things had changed in the company. They didn't even need me. And so I sat by myself for three months in this cube by myself, like not having any projects, any, my manager didn't want me there. It was like this real weird scenario. I ended up crying like for three months in the bathroom of this, you know, <laughs> corporation. <laughs> And so just stuff like that kept happening to me where I would just like put so much effort into my work and not get the kind of response back that was, um, was equal to what I was putting out, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. The reason I wanted to pause and, and ask you to clarify how you were able to determine that they weren't appreciating you is I think it's a real common trap mm -hmm. that many of us get into with the work that we do. And it can take a while to recognize those signs and go, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not being fully appreciated here. That's what's actually not fulfilling because you might enjoy the work, whatever the definition of the job description is. That's happened to me. I've really enjoyed my work in the past mm -hmm. and sometimes what's not fulfilling is either who you're doing it for or how they treat you around the process of doing the work the lack of appreciation it isn't actually the task at hand yeah. it's how it feels to do the task at hand yeah and and that's why in my process I always start with foundation of connecting to your values and your desires because so many of us have beliefs. So what I see in relationships like that is that I had beliefs that I could be treated like that, right? From growing up that way or things, beliefs that I had taken on. So I believed that it was okay to be treated like that. Right. And so oh, many of us never take the time to really say what, and we've talked, we talked about this a little bit, what are my values and desires and, you know, what do I want? what do I really want and how do I want to be treated? Right. And how do I deserve to be treated? And so I think like that, it's a reflection when you see people treating you that way, it's a reflection of what you believe about yourself because you're actually allowing them to do that. Right. And so now whenever I see those kind of things in relationships, I go, Oh, wait, what's going on with me, right? Because it's just a reflection of, um, of how I see myself, basically. Well, that's just a perfect segue into my curiosity about you and kind of backing up a little and saying, how would you describe yourself? How would you describe the essence of Esther Loopstra? Oh, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that. Um, well, actually, my therapist kind of asked me that today. <laughs> so funny. I'm a creator. I'm an artist and a teacher. And so what brings me so much joy is first creating, right, from this place of connection to myself, but also connecting people to their essence. So I, I love, I love learning. I love learning about ways that we can do that and learning about also things like neuroscience, um, all kinds of science, biology, 
psychology and, you know, I've really been so fascinated with the psychology of flow and, um, and the creative process. And so like, to me, my essence is really this both learning, always learning and always growing and always teaching and sharing. Like, I think sharing is just one of my core values. Um, yeah. If, if that, if that clarifies who it I does. am. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I really love, you know, the, the essence of me really loves, um, what I kind of call the mystery or the unknown. Uh, so anything that is uh, pushing the limits of what we know right now. So, um, anything in science or, um, yeah, anything that's kind of like, we don't quite know we're starting like the study of consciousness and, um, all of those kind of things. So anything that we don't have a grasp on that's like the big questions I also love the mystery of that what are you learning about right now what am I learning about what am I oh what I'm really fascinated (laughs) this might go down what I'm really fascinated with are the unseen networks of life so talking so there's all these networks in life that we and in the universe that we don't see or we can't explain so like mycelium which is mushrooms they have an entire network system that's underground and we can't see it we don't really know how it works we sort of do but it's a communication network to not only the fungi but to everything in the forest right and fascinating, but the way that it looks is it mimics um, our neurons in our brain. It mimics, um, you know, the internet, the way the internet connects to everywhere, uh, dark matter, things like that, that are, they're unseen. We don't really know how it works, but they're somehow supporting life and creating life if that makes sense. That's my, that's my artist brain where I'm digging in my art right now. Um, yeah, that really fuels my need for exploration. What did you have to stop forcing in your life in order to get into the psychology of flow? If you think about the times when you've been in flow, you are, you have a goal but you're not hyper-focused on the outcome, what it's going to look like, controlling the outcome, um, the expectation of the outcome, right? You're more, you're in the present moment, what we call deep embodiment. And so for me, I was always trying to control the outcome and I was always, had an expectation of what I wanted it to look like, number one, right? And number two, I was getting feedback from other people. So there are things called flow triggers, which get us into flow. And so having a goal is one of them, having the right size goal. And then another one is um, feedback. So we can get feedback from other people, but what I really wasn't doing is getting feedback from myself, which is your intuition. So I think a lot of people, when they're disconnected from their intuition, they are looking for feedback outside of themselves. And that turn that puts them in their head, right? in their inner critic and their head and their logical mind. And they're all like spinning out of control almost. Right. And trying a whole bunch of, I see this all the time, trying a whole bunch of different things and them not working. And so for me, how I had to get into flow was 
number one, connecting to my intuition, to that natural feedback. So if you think about a time you've been in flow, like when you've been creating, so tell me when you get in, what is an example of when you get into flow, like creating or doing something? What's your favorite flow activity? For me, when, when I receive a download, an idea that, that is a, a, a creative path, a project to work on, what happens for me when I'm in flow state is that doors open. Mm-hmm. Everything becomes possible. The limitations and the barriers seem to dissolve when the idea is right. How did you know that those things were the right things when they came to you? It's about faith for me, believing that the idea that came to me wouldn't have come to me if I wasn't meant to execute it. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a, a heaping helping of courage and faith and a bit of moxie and, you know, no fucks to give. Let's just go for this thing. But I felt like I was in flow state then because doors were opening and yeah. I believed that it was possible. Yeah. So when I actually, a couple years ago, decided that I can't live like this anymore from just my brain, my logical brain. Uh, I decided to kind of make a radical kind of experiment where I just followed my intuition and this is for my business and my life and everything. And I just said, I am not because I'm kind of one of those people who just pushes and pushes and pushes. Right. And so I just decided I'm not going to do anything really that my intuition isn't telling me to. It's just kind of radical, but it's kind of an experiment, right? Things just would come to me at the right time when I needed it, when I trusted in that process and trusting in ourselves, trusting in, you know, the universe or in life, it takes time and it takes practice, especially for people who have experienced trauma, have not a great connection to themselves. It takes time, you know, to develop that uh, ability to listen and hear that and the ability to take action and trust, trust it. And how do you help people hone that skill? Yes. Um, I help people by, you know, it's a, it's a step-by-step process, right? So we really, like you said, get clear on the values. Cause I love, I love your connection with that. That is like kind of the first step in saying, taking a step in saying, um, I value my values. I value myself. Right. And, and with intuition, we actually do need to make a choice. We need to say like, I want this. Also, at the same time, getting connected to our bodies, like a lot of people that I've worked with, they've disconnected from their body. So our body speaks, our body, our intuition speaks to us through our body a lot of times, most of the time. And so a lot of people like who've experienced trauma have disconnected from their body. And so they might not hear their intuition clearly. And so we work on that. We work on um, beliefs, you know, any of those kind of traumas that happened, um, limiting beliefs and expectations and all of those things, working through those to be able to kind of create a clear channel. Great thing about working with a coach is that we need somebody else to see us. It's just like a, a a very primal thing that as babies we need, right? And so I reinforce that they are listening to their intuition because one of the ways that we get disconnected from our intuition is because we don't recognize it and value it and see that we actually have been listening to it. So I'll say, Oh, 
you are listening to your intuition here and here and here and here. And so that reinforces the idea that they do, they can connect to their intuition. And so, you know, it's a process, right? If somebody is very connected to their intuition, then we can kind of go to the next step. And I work with a lot of creatives. So a lot of times, you know, the next step is kind of getting clear on what you want to do and what you want to create. And so, but yeah, it, there's a lot of layers, right. Um, to connecting to your intuition. And I think that a lot of people don't talk about it in number one, a practical way, <laughs> right. It's kind of been relegated to this like woo woo sphere. Um, and a lot of people don't kind of talk about how, how to actually connect to your intuition. And so I love talking about the practical aspect, you know. What I heard you say is it's a practice of listening to your body and tuning in. You mentioned that a big barrier to that could be for folks who have experienced trauma in their life, that in order to survive trauma, an individual uh, typically might shut down and disassociate mm -hmm. their, their head from their body, their mind from their, their being. And for anyone who's experienced that, it's a slow baby steps of relearning like it's so it's okay to feel mm -hmm. right and yeah. so can you say a little bit more uh, of how you would work with someone who needs help taking baby steps towards trusting their intuition believing that their ideas are worth acting on um there's a kind of like three ways that I kind of, I say that you can listen to your intuition. One of them is just straight up asking your intuition, right? And so you can, I think a lot of times that when we think about intuition, we think, oh yeah, it should just answer me right away. And <laughs> that's kind of the hardest one, right? Um, I've gotten better at it because I've done it a lot, but yeah, though people who, and a lot of times it'll speak in different ways, it'll speak in different places in our body. But if we are disconnected from our body, that is really hard. Um, and this, the second way is asking what I call curiosity questions. And this is allowing our brain to kind of do the work for us. So, you know, when you get in the shower and you get ideas, that's actually a network of your brain giving you ideas from your intuition, from your subconscious that it has access to when it's in that network of relaxation. So we can ask a question and have it sort of, you know, do something like taking a shower, driving, gardening, and allow it to come to us. The third thing is just trying it, <laughs> just doing the thing. A lot of people can only sense their intuition when it's a negative. So when it's like a no, 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 no. Right. So, so, so those are kind of the three, just to kind of put that in perspective. When I work with clients, I do a lot of um, what we call inner child work. I will help them to connect to their younger self. So when we're, when we're young, we, um, we need to be soothed and seen and safe. Right. And so if we don't have those things in place, when we're young, um, we disconnect parts of our, our self right? In order to fit into our family system or our community. And so 
reconnecting us to those parts of ourself and allowing our younger self to feel safe and reparenting ourself. That's really the first step. And for me, and in my process, along with kind of going over the values, even maybe sometimes before the values, because that's actually a really hard exercise, the values. If you are not feeling secure in just the basics of, I am allowed to be on this planet. Like I am safe being here and being expressing myself. If, if you can't, if, you know, and people who have trauma, they, they can't say that they can't a lot of times say that I am even supposed to be here on this earth. Right. And so who am I going to say I deserve to follow my values? That's, that's a giant leap. And, and so even when I do the values exercise, it takes a long time for people to even get to the point of saying, I deserve this. I deserve to be here. I deserve autonomy and autonomy is a, it's also a flow trigger, (laughs) but autonomy is, is you deserving to have choice and we all deserve that. And people get autonomy mixed up with privilege. And so a lot of us I find especially (laughs) people who have grown up uh, female gendered, I have found in my years of teaching and coaching is that especially us, we um, don't feel like we are allowed to have an opinion or have uh, what we want, right? Or make a decision or um, dream. So those are kind of the really basic things that I work on and it's really deep, you know, like I go, (laughs) I go deep, deep fast. And, um, but, you know, I find that, that it's the hard work that most people don't want to do. They want to skip that part, you know, especially when we're talking about like, my work is really connecting people to their essence so that they can find a career and create a life that they love. Well, people just want a formula for that. Right. People don't, people don't want to think about, well, what do I want? Who do I actually believe that I deserve this? Like there's so much more that goes into the process of creating. And you know, this because you've been through it, you know, of creating a life that you that you want and being able to choose a career path um, and be able to express yourself, express what you're here to express, you know? Something that I was really feeling in my body that was coming up for me as you were talking about in order to be self-expressed, you need to feel safe. And so as you talk about unraveling the layers that might be present in someone who's experienced trauma and why they don't feel safe to be more fully self-expressed, you acknowledged um, being a gender other than male can have a disadvantage. And I thought of the work I'm doing with a group of white uh, racial justice folk is what it looks like for a body other than a white skinned body to feel safe. It's certainly in America and right there, you know, this concept of being fully self-expressed, being your authentic self. I listened to a Ted talk from a black bodied woman who express the fact that I'm not safe to show up as my full self at work. Yeah. And hearing those stories firsthand has really impacted how I want to talk about authenticity and being fully self-expressed. And I want to be aware of the fact that there is a privilege in white skin to feel safe to do so. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because 
we know that, you know, through the work of genetics that we know that trauma is passed down and there, so with tra- number one, trauma is passed down through generations, but also there's such a thing as racial trauma. When we think about intuition, we think about women <laughs> that are more quote unquote intuitive. But when I go and look for like quotes from like intuitive leaders and CEOs and scientists, they're all men who have, you know, pretty much white men who have followed their intuition, right? Think about Steve Jobs. And so we find that the incidence of women actually following their intuition in life, being able to feel safe enough to trust themselves, to trust the world, it doesn't happen as much. And it's not going to happen. It's going to happen even less for a person of color, a woman of color, right? Because number one, they don't feel safe. They might have had trauma. They definitely have had trauma passed down through the generations. And on top of that, we have to see to believe what is possible for us. So if I was a woman of color and I never saw a scientist woman of color, I would have a really hard time being able to imagine being in that scenario. So all of those things, I'm so glad that you brought it up because it's not a one and done thing. It's different for every single person. And we have to, like with trauma work, we have to build the capacity and we have to, you know, we have to build the capacity in our body and the trust with ourselves and the trust with other people. Right. And so for us to be able to be aware that other people have experienced different things and have different capacities. Yeah. And it seems to me that, that we people with white skin need to build a culture not based on uh, white supremacy values. Yeah. And that's part of practicing being messy and getting it wrong and not valuing perfectionism and not valuing independence and autonomy in the same way but instead community and reaching out and building a new culture. Oh, I'm so all about this. So I could go on about this too. I feel like this old paradigm that's based in colonialism and based in um, slavery really and industrialization and now capitalism, it has created this, well, separation right? And it's a sense of really a sense of control. So I just see so many people, including you kind of pushing on that narrative and pushing those boundaries of that old paradigm. And I'm so passionate about it because I think the truth is autonomy is our birthright. And when we connect to our true essence, when we connect to our unique self, right? Our uniqueness, that is a gift to the community. It's a gift, but we, yeah, we have been told, we have been told that our worth comes from doing, from hard work or from doing what other people want, not connecting to ourselves. But, you know, (laughs) And I think it's so beautiful, especially like connecting with other cultures where you can see that people, it is about the community. You know, I have something to share. When you see that you innately have value to give, and this is in other cultures, they see this, right? And they see that, yeah, you're a unique person and you have, you have something to give to the community and the community has something to give to you. It's a whole new ball game, right? (laughs) This was pretty much one of the main kind of ending topics with my last guest, Jason Diggs, 
in talking about how we share our gifts with community. And the whole opportunity in the practice of authentic relating is learning how to see the gift in others and then amplifying that. Yes. Yes. So sorry, but when you connect to, and I feel like we can only do that when we really connect, are able to connect and have compassion for ourselves. then it automatically, we're able to see that and see it in other people and amplify that in other people too, like more naturally. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. So what do you think comes first? This is, this is a conversation that I've been wanting to have with more people. Do you think that one has to develop grace, compassion, and love for themselves in order for it to ripple to others? Or can you have compassion, grace, and love for others, and then slowly learn how to give that to yourself? I'll just speak for myself. I grew up in a very religious um, household, and um, other people always came first. So I learned that I learned compassion and I was also really naturally empathetic. So I naturally did have it, but it was sort of used against me. So it was sort of like a mixed bag. And when I, so when I was showing compassion for people and helping people, there was a mix there of a lot of things, right? Pressure, um, self-worth in doing and giving, um, it wasn't pure. And when I was able to do some of this trauma work, when I was able to do this inner child work, when I was able to have compassion for myself, I now, I can honestly say I can have compassion for anybody. And it's so pure. Like, I'm sure that there's a bit of myself, my ego or whatever in there sometimes, but I honestly, for a long time, didn't want to give or didn't want to do anything, um, because it felt so heavy to me. And so when I was able to give myself compassion, it just naturally flows now. And it really is a practice, you know, of having compassion for yourself. And then, yeah, I mean, I think it can be both. And I think it's different for, for, for each person. And that's, that's just kind of how it has worked for, for me. It's interesting because my dad was a narcissist, but he was a pastor and he was always giving. And so people were always like, oh, he's amazing, blah, 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 blah. you know, but he got his self-worth from people needing him. So only you can say if it's pure, if it's, and that, and that to me is the motivation. So when, you know, last year when there was even more amplifying black voices and this, um, you know, really going within, I really went within and said, like, how can I actually show up in the long term for people of color, for people who, you know, might not have my privilege and be just be more like, how can I share my, what I have and, and be motivated? Because I think for a lot of white people, we are like, yay, let's, we're on board. And then it kind of like fizzles out or we go into shame or something. For me, what really came to me through my intuition was, um, working on trauma and like, that's the gift I have is to help people through their trauma, because I know that the more compassion they have for themselves, the more that we're going to be able to have compassion for where everybody is at. We started the conversation unwrapping the importance of intuition and trusting yourself in order to be clear about your goals, about stepping into places that might be scary or unknown removing limiting beliefs so that you can live the life you want. And what I want to get to, and maybe I went too far in that list. So let me back it up for a second. As we talk about the importance of intuition and learning to trust yourself, Q, 
can you tell me what's on the other side for you? What's the impact of doing that? When you trust yourself, you get to have what? Mm. For me, there's two things that kind of everybody wants in life. The first one is everybody wants to uncover their most authentic self, their essence, really connect to that, that person, because, you know, growing up, we just had, have had sort of layers of beliefs and conditioning. Right. And so first is really that connection to yourself. And then like we just talked about what happens is from that place, you want to express that that authentic self and your gifts. And so it's really about uncovering. That's a lot of the work I do is like uncovering what naturally wants to come out of me, not what should come out of me, but what naturally wants to come out of me and what kind of just flows out of me. And so that way in work, and as we do that, we connect to our intuition, right? And so the end product is really, it feels like what you were talking about with your project is that you're expressing yourself. Not only are you expressing yourself, but you're also creating um, to connect with other people. Like it naturally happens and it feels, it can feel very effortless if you get into knowing how you flow, like knowing how flow works for you, knowing how to listen to your intuition and flow to the next thing. Right. And it's, it's an, it's a process of unfolding, but it really is this like beautiful manifestation of your truest self. And I really think that that's kind of what we're, what we're all here for, you know, is to number one, have fun. And (laughs) and that, that happens naturally when you're able to be yourself, right. And really experience. And, you know, number two, um, learn and grow. And number three, connect with others and give love, love to others and, um, help others see their, you know, themselves too. Is there something I haven't asked you about that you want to share? Hmm. You know, if you're having trouble connecting to your intuition, um, you know, just realize that it takes time and you can do little things, little steps to increase that connection. So one of the things that I like to do is to really start to take note of when you've listened to your intuition before and write down kind of how that felt, how it spoke to you, what happened, what, if you did or didn't listen to it um, and take note of every, any time you kind of feel that intuition and what happened. So that trains our brain to realize that it's safe to listen And another fun exercise I like to share is just following your impulses. So we kind of talked about that, but like taking one morning where you don't have anything to do and just getting up and saying like, what do I want? What do I feel like doing? And maybe it's like getting a coffee and then you do that. Right. And then you think what's, what's next? What do I want to do? Maybe it's taking a walk or do, you know, reading a book and then doing that and seeing how that feels and just kind of following your impulses in a safe way. That's like a really, and then noticing how do I feel and how do I sense that knowing, right? Like, how do I sense that in my body or wherever and what happens? So our brain kind of needs this um, logical connection of, okay, I'm going to be safe if I listen to my intuition and good things will happen. Right. So even if it's like, I really enjoy that coffee and I felt like really present in my body, you know, just recognize and, and keep kind of validating that experience. 
one of my early mentors suggested I keep an evidence journal whenever as a antidote for my inner critic. And the evidence journal is things I write down when I feel joy or pride or a sense of belonging because of what someone else has said to me or about me. And when my inner critic is really loud, I can go to this evidence journal and be like, oh, look, I'm not all bad. My inner critic, I, I could tell it to fuck off now. <laughs> and yeah. I'm hearing that you're journaling about your intuition is you saying, oh, look, you, you led me down this path and I had this positive experience. Yeah, our brains have this natural negativity bias. So it's really a survival thing, right? So it all, our brains like to focus on the negative, like a ton more than positive. So it's always going to go there. So the more you can do that, that is really beautiful. Yeah. I do that with my clients too. Like, how can we kind of tell the brain it's safe, right? I love that. Nice. So before we close, Esther, there's something that I read on social media that really impacted me around boundaries. And the reason it was so important is I'm, I'm trying to move the needle on this big project that I kind of hinted at earlier in our conversation. And what feels impossible is that it's never the priority today or this week. There's other things that are taking my time today and this week. And so it's never the thing I get to do, but it's so big that if I don't take five hours this week and five hours next week, then two months from now, it'll never be realized. Just like this idea I had six months ago, that's no further ahead. So I read this thing you posted and I want to read it to you now because it, again, it, it had a message for me. Setting boundaries and stepping into what's calling us can feel so scary, but it's a necessary step on the road to trusting yourself and stepping into your purpose. Boundaries might look like blocked off time, or it might look like not doing something for others that you don't want to do. It could look like many things that allow you to step into who you fully are. Take a leap, set the boundaries, your future self will thank you. What had you write that? Oh, what had me write that? Um, I might have to look at the picture. <laughs> Just cue me. Let me see here. I was thinking about when I transitioned and I was just thinking about this. We both were kind of in the commercial illustration world, right? And so I was transitioning from my 15 years in that world to doing what I'm doing now, which is coaching and doing and painting fine, fine art. And so I was thinking about how I did that and how I transitioned. And I was thinking also about a client that I had who experienced a lot of trauma and they were kind of beating themselves up about not being able to take the steps fast enough or set the boundaries fast enough. And just how long it actually took me to set boundaries for myself. And um, so I think that we can feel really guilty. We can have a lot of guilt around not showing up for ourselves enough or not setting boundaries. And um, yeah, I wanted to say like, this is a really important step, right? For us to be able to step into our worth and into our purpose and how that looked for me was, uh, I had to say, I'm going to take weekends off. Number one, (laughs) I'm not going to respond right away when you have a design emergency, right? I'm going to wait until I have the time. And these are sequential. So it took me a while, right? And then it was blocking off three hours in the morning. This was really, 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 really scary for me. So I think part of the thing that happens when we have a project is that 
there's a bit of, there's fear because when we're working on stuff for other people or we're working on stuff that we know how to do and we know the outcome, our brain is happy because it like knows the steps. It knows that we can do it. And what my coach said to me was, cause I told her, I don't procrastinate. I'm not a procrastinator. And she said, I'll never forget this. She said, um, I have to push back on you a little bit. You're procrastinating on yourself. So what happens is like that big project, it's scary because you might not know all the steps yet. And for me, I didn't know, um, I had no idea that investing time in my painting would actually pay off or investing time in writing and thinking would pay off. And so I had to block off these times. That's so scary. It's almost like blocking off times for, it feels like play, but my, my logical brain, my inner critic was like, this is a waste of time. Right. So that's maybe, I don't know if that resonates with you in where you're at, where, you know, there's a lot of things that you know how how to do, you know, what the outcome is going to be right. But doing something, a big project or what's, you know, doing a project for yourself, it might be more scary because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And it's like taking a leap. So what we can do is take these small steps and just block off, you know, just block off a little bit of time and, and not, not put the X. So the first step, we didn't really get into my process, but the first step in the process is really exploration. And so also, and following your curiosity, playing and exploring. And so if you put a little bit of time and all get fun, make it the exploration process, really saying like, this is, you know, a little bit of time where I can explore and I can play and I can find connections and I can, you know, I don't know what your process is, but, um, that also taps into our purpose, our passion, our curiosity, which are natural motivators. So, but we have to really build that trust. Right. Um, so it takes, it does, it takes time. And, and sometimes it takes, um, accountability, like people like holding you accountable. Like if you need that, it sometimes takes that depending on where we're all at. So, yeah. Thanks for sharing more of your process. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for being here and sharing your wisdom and your heart. Thank you so much. This is really fun. I know I want to live in a world with more fully self-expressed people. Can you imagine Can you imagine if we all were free to be ourselves, (laughs) be authentic? Yeah. Powerful. Thanks for being on this planet and following your thread of aliveness to do more of this work. Thank you. And that wraps up this conversation with another Pink Noise Posse member. I appreciate the attention of your ears, body, mind, and spirit. If you are listening to this during the Cafe Racer radio broadcast on June 20th, I'd like to wish all the fathers out there a special acknowledgement for all you do to pause and connect with the beings you brought into this world, both past and present. And to those fathers who came before you, you are who you are because of them regardless of how your upbringing looked. We take our cues from our guardians. As littles, we have no choice. As adults, we get a new opportunity with agency to choose for ourselves how we want to tread in this world. This brings me back to a message I heard Esther say on video which is one of the points of connection that had me reach out and invite her on the show. She touched on it during the episode, but I think it's worth a replay. I recorded this directly from her Instagram account. Let's give it a listen. 
I'm so damn proud of you, of us, for beginning to do the work to change the old paradigm. So when you decide to listen to yourself, to listen to your intuition, to live and flow instead of the hustle, you're basically saying yes to your autonomy. This is the new paradigm versus the old paradigm, which was control. It was based on colonialism, slavery, industrialization. It was based on, and now, you know, capitalism. It, 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 the old paradigm was based on a hierarchy, based on individualism, based on um, owning you, basically. You do not have a say. So I shouldn't say that this is a new paradigm coming. It's probably very old, but we have been passed down this narrative for so long. It's in our genes. So it is really difficult to change the narrative to a more holistic. When we say yes to our own autonomy and coming back to our bodies, giving ourselves rest, recognizing that we have something unique to give, we, we come into more of a holistic mentality that we have something to share and others have something to share with us. That you have innate value, not for what you do or produce, but for who you are. And so every time that you get these shoulds or this kind of like um, panic mind loop going, right? Um, take a breath and realize that you are changing the narrative not just for you, for your kids, for your friends, for your family, for generations, you're breaking the cycle. Um, and not only that, you're changing the community and the society at large. It's tough work, but it is so worth it. And I'm so freaking proud of you and me and us. It's this message about being proud of ourselves for stepping out, setting boundaries, and being willing to decide for ourselves what is right and a good fit based on our personal evolution, not outdated metrics. Let's be brave. Let's take a stand for what we believe. Let's show up as our authentic self whenever it's safe to do so. And if a space is not safe, have the courage to walk away, or do something to shift the culture. Need support? I got my cheerleading pom-poms ready. If you're looking to find your core values so you can design your creative business on a foundation rooted in authenticity, then look for the link to Esther's free workshop called Setting Yourself Up for Success. I'll put a link in the show notes. Next week, a very, very, very special guest indeed. I found this person on OkCupid in March of 2019. And on the date that the episode will air, he is setting out on a life-changing journey to ride his bicycle across the United States of America. And we're going to talk about what the hell motivated him to do such a thing. My partner in life, Kevin Humphreys. Until then, keep mining and shining the gold within. <laughs>